Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Susie On, and this is Reset. Georgia has been a solidly red state for decades, but it turned blue enough to push President-elect Joe Biden to a narrow victory last month, thanks in part to a large turnout of Asian-American voters. Coming up, we'll find out how that community is battling misinformation. But first, with the Senate runoffs in Georgia looming, Asian-Americans are mobilizing again to make a difference. Andy King is the executive director of Asian-Americans Advancing Justice Chicago. Andy, we saw a real uptick in Asian-American engagement this election. Tell us about that and the impact you think it made. I think we're looking at the numbers still, but I think some of the early things that we do know is that early voting among Asian-American voters uh, skyrocketed. Four million-plus Asian-American voters voted, and uh, in 2016, that number was 1.25 million. So uh, especially in battlegrounds states, we saw a a surge in Asian-American voting. Uh, And then just nationally, you know, uh, more Asian-Americans had a bigger increase in percentage of votes than any other group in the battleground states that uh, mattered this year. What were some of the issues that that came to light for um, Asian-Americans this election cycle? So when we look at a pre-election survey that came out in September, uh, there's about 1,500 voters that were surveyed across all the different ethnic groups. Uh, we, we did see a, a pattern of, by and large, uh, Asian Americans uh, sided with Democrats on a, a range of progressive issues, from you know pathway to citizenship, climate change, gun control or gun safety. The other thing that really did stick out as far as uh, folks um, at least uh, responding that they decided uh, they were leaning towards uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris was uh, a number of Asian Americans rated concerns over white supremacy uh, and that Donald Trump's unfavorables uh, were quite high. And I, I think that uh, we are all aware of uh, some of his um, scapegoating leading up to the election day around the coronavirus. I think that really hurt him. And, and uh, the pre-election survey seems to suggest that. And of course, Asian Americans as a group, very diverse. Talk a little bit about that and the different things at play with uh, the separate communities within the Asian American voter bloc. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to say that this would be the case in every state, but I think based on some of the national polling and and the survey that I I just referenced, uh, we know that uh, in general, the South Asian community, the uh, Indian community in particular, she was pretty heavy uh, Democrat and, and stronger on uh, alignment on progressive issues. Uh, I think on the other side of the spectrum, you'll find uh, Vietnamese Americans being more conservative politically. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of folks, there's a lot of media coverage on why that is and, and the history of uh, communism and perhaps some of the um, conservative uh, campaign talking points about socialism and having consequences there. But uh, I think uh, what we have seen consistently from 2016 to 2018 till now uh, is a, a fairly steady drift uh, towards you know the Asian American community being very receptive to progressive positions on issues, uh, being more concerned about issues of racial justice, not just for Asian Americans, but uh, in particular the Black Lives Matter uh, movement really resonating uh, with a majority of Asian Americans. And so I think, you know, as a progressive but nonpartisan organization, I think these are all positive signs. Mm-hmm. And then among the South Asian community, was it a boost to have um, Kamala Harris as uh, the VP candidate? Yeah, I don't think it hurts. You know, I, um, 
I do think the Trump campaign uh, did make a concerted effort for the South Asian vote, most notably having uh, a rally down in Houston with Prime Minister Modi. I should say that, you know, I think that's a double-edged sword there because, uh, as we all know, uh, Hindu nationalism, uh, there's an underlying uh, strong current of Islamophobia that will uh, have as many detractors and turn as many uh, Muslim-American Asians off as it would actually, um, you know, perhaps be a, a, a pro or a benefit. So yeah. they did make their effort. I, I, I think we'll, we'll continue to look at the data and see if that made a dent mm-hmm. uh, in the places that mattered. But uh, right now, the, all indications are it did not. Let's turn to Stephanie in Georgia. Stephanie Cho is the executive director of Asian Americans Advancing Justice Atlanta. Stephanie, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Hi, Andy. Hey, Stephanie. Well, before we dive into the voting specifics, Stephanie, tell us about the growth and the diversity of Asian American communities in Georgia. It's really increased over time. The largest Asian American population is Indian. The second is Korean. The third is Chinese, um, mostly Mandarin speakers. And then you have quite a bit of a drop. And then you get into uh, Vietnamese, Filipino, uh, Bangladeshi, um, et cetera. So you have a good mix of um, Asian Americans. And the increase um, in the sort of fastest growing numbers are really true, particularly in Georgia. And that's really contributed. It's not just immigrants coming from their home countries. It's also people uh, who were former immigrants who had come um, from um, other states looking for job opportunities. It's also a combination of more people coming of age, too, mm-hmm. as Asian Americans versus Asians, right? Um, their parents are immigrants. They're now um, eligible to vote. And then you also have um, newly naturalized um, citizens. So that number has really just caused this sort of explosion of folks that are able to um, be civically mm-hmm. engaged. I grew up in uh, neighboring Alabama, and, and uh, growing up, I, I knew that the environment wasn't the most welcoming to Asians. How does it look now in terms of political players paying more attention to Asian Americans as a voting bloc? I think it's really changed. When I first moved here, I think it was in 2013, um, there was one Asian American representative. They were Republican. It was me and him and his staff person that were in the halls during legislative session. And that was it. (laughs) And that was very striking to me. And then you fast forward to coming into 2021, we're going to have five Asian American representatives in Georgia. Two are from the LGBT community which is huge, (laughs) right? And then also, you know, when I first moved here, I was struck by the kind of casual racism that I experienced when I was growing up in Oregon, you know, 30 years ago. And so that's the kind of environment that it was. You had immigrant rallies that were happening here and they were very sparsely attended. Mm -hmm. You fast forward to 2019, they were huge, Yeah. right? The conversation around ICE was barely starting to happen, you know, in 2013, and now it's really, you know, become more of an issue. I think mm-hmm. over time it's been galvanized, but at the same time throughout the country, which is true, and particularly in the South, you also have the more um, blatant racism that's happening, and they're more bold, especially when it came to the polls mm. in 2020. Yeah. As you've both been doing this work, do you find uh, yourselves dealing with fake news stories and misinformation? Uh, We'll be talking with a Vox reporter who's covered that issue, but I'm wondering what you're seeing. And we'll start with you, Stephanie. 
think we're seeing it in reports of uh, fake or false uh, voter engagement, um, and that is included in the Asian American community. So one prominent Vietnamese leader had posted that they thought that people were being loaded up on a bus and and wondering if they were actually eligible to vote. Mm. And they were talking about, mostly talking about people who were Latinx. And so this sort of misinformation about just wondering if somebody is and then posting it on either on your social media or in the group chats mm-hmm. that Kakao, uh, what's it called, WhatsApp, mm-hmm. um, WeChat, WeChat, all of those have really influenced. So for us as an organization, it's really important to give people accurate information in multiple different languages. So when we see things like that, we give accurate information always. And so we're actually pretty active in a lot of the chats as well, Mm -hmm. um, just to put out, you know, these are the voting dates. If you have questions about voting absentee, questions about if your ballot will be secure, this is the hotline to call, Mm -hmm. right? Our hotline is open. We have multiple people answering it. And so I think making sure that we're putting out that, plus our organization, and same with Andy's as well, we've been in the community for many years, so we are a trusted source mm-hmm. in the Asian American community for accurate information, not just about voting, but for other issues as well. We saw a much bigger voter turnout um, this election cycle, but w- what were the challenges and barriers to making sure people get out there? I think the pandemic has been a huge issue. Um, Normally, we're able to do just tons of door knocking. We would be in the field, you know, constantly, and we really had to scale back. The other thing was billboards became increasingly more important um, Mm -hmm. in the general. And I think we're learning this uh, from the general is, and it's true in the runoff, is more and more people want to apply for the absentee ballot and that voting happens um, not on uh, the deadline is actually you know, January 5th, but the way that people are voting is they view that as the deadline versus Mm -hmm. it being like that's election day, which when we're thinking about early voting starts next week Mm -hmm. in Georgia, the 14th and the 15th, and we're treating that as election day. So we're going to be out in full force with election protection in multiple different languages and also interpretation. The other thing we tried to do um, before the general is to urge the secretary of state and also the counties to have materials, just information in multiple different languages. You know this if you're from Alabama, (laughs) is that um, there's very little uh, information in Asian languages. Mm -hmm. So we wanted them to put out some basic voting information in at least the top, you know, Asian languages. We got one county to do it in DeKalb um, to do Korean. So now we have the sample ballot in uh, Korean And also in Spanish, too. Mm -hmm. So we have two counties now that have Spanish Mm -hmm. uh, information and one county that has uh, information in one Asian language, Korean. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we're we're looking at uh, two Senate runoff uh, runoffs here for Georgia. um, But we know people from around the country, including some from Chicago, are either working phone banks or even temporarily relocating to Georgia. Andy, why do you think this race matters that other Asian Americans around the country in particular are, are taking an interest? Yeah, I think it's two things. One, uh, everyone understanding how much rides uh, on uh, what happens with the outcome of these two Senate races. Folks are understanding uh, how politically significant uh, these races are to the course of the next few years. I think on top of that, what is extremely exciting, in particular for AAPI progressives around the country that have been organizing for so long, is 
uh, all of us have been watching Stephanie and her team and, and the work they've been doing in, in, in Atlanta, and we know um, how hard it has been in some of these emerging rising communities to get political traction, right, to push back against uh, all the things that, uh, unfortunately, the immigrant community has been facing uh, these last few years. And uh, this is really a moment where, you know, truly the Asian-American community can, can be the difference maker here. Um, at Gwinnett County alone, where uh, Atlanta sits, it's over 12% Asian-American. Uh, I, I believe the congressional district there, the 7th district in Georgia, uh, went 68% for Biden. So certainly I think there's a case to be made that the Asian-American vote played a, a huge role in the outcome of that state. And I I think will continue to be the case here for the Senate mm-hmm. runoff. So, as you mentioned, my own director of organizing has taken a leave of absence, uh, a holiday mm-hmm. break early uh, to be down there to help lead mobilization efforts with the Asian American community. Um, you know, I think we would uh, expect uh, others, uh, folks, to pitch in, uh, and hopefully they will consider volunteering for our Atlanta affiliate. You know, whether it's mm-hmm. election protection or, or phone banking. That's Andy Kang, Executive Director of Asian Americans Advancing Justice Chicago. Also with us today is Stephanie Cho, Executive Director of Asian Americans Advancing Justice Atlanta. Thanks to you both for joining us today. Thanks so much. Well, it's a problem with the young, the old, and everyone in between, including folks in Asian American communities like the ones we just heard about. It's misinformation. And thanks to social media, misinformation spreads fast. For example, fake news about China, some of it spread by President Trump himself, had a big impact on Cambodian, Vietnamese, and Laotian communities in the U.S. Fox reporter Terry Nguyen tracked how various bits of misinformation spread through different Asian American communities across the country, and she joins us now. Terry, welcome to Reset. Hi, thank you for having me. So how rampant is election misinformation in this latest cycle, and uh, is it at its worst? Yeah, so in my conversations with community organizers and grassroots groups, they were very concerned by the uptick in misinformation that they've noticed, particularly since 2016. I think the same issue has occurred in English-speaking communities, but definitely for Asian-American voters, particularly because they consume sometimes native media on different platforms and from different networks, um, that hasn't been really dedicated to um, in the mainstream press. Yes, to answer your question, uh, there is kind of this slow uptick of disinformation, and it shows that this hasn't really stopped even in the aftermath of the election. I guess why are we seeing it now, or why are we seeing it maybe so rampant now than other election cycles? I think um, after 2016, a lot of uh, reporters and community activists and just regular people have noticed that on their social media feeds, there's a lot more different sites and even influencers dedicated to spreading maybe necessarily not completely false information, but biased and accurate information. And while, you know, a lot of the main social media networks have published statements in the lead up to the election to say that they're going to staunch the spread, a lot of it happening in non-English language has kind of been overlooked. And um, a lot of this is kind of just built up over time, really. Um, a lot of misinformation, we kind of call them repeat offenders. Um, there are certain Facebook groups where a lot of um, certain narratives are spread on. They've just kind of been built slowly over time through 2016. And we really just noticed the cumulative effect during the election cycle because people are more vocal about mm-hmm. their views and who they're voting for. Yeah, talk a little bit more about why it may be more of a challenge to 
untangle this misinformation from Asian American communities. Uh, you, you, you talked about um, all the various platforms and also the diversity of languages. So misinformation already is a hard topic to tackle, even in English language news. Um, and for Asian American communities, uh, a significant portion of this community includes voters who might not be proficient in English. And so a lot of times they're consuming news either from their home country or from information shared in peer-to-peer networks. So that's among family or friends, and they might see information on Facebook or maybe on different apps. And as I mentioned in my story, uh, depending on the ethnic group or the community, they might be using a variety of different platforms. We already know kind of the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that sorts. But there's also WeChat among Chinese Americans. There's WhatsApp. There's Line. There's Kakao Talk. And so there hasn't been as much scrutiny towards those smaller platforms. And it's kind of difficult because some of these platforms are encrypted as well, which means you can't really tell where the content is coming from. It's just being shared from one person to another. Mm-hmm. What were some common stories or topics people seem to have latched onto? One thing I've noticed among, particularly among folks in the Vietnamese American community, because I'm Vietnamese myself, and um, as you mentioned earlier, folks from um, Cambodia or Laos, even those from Hong Kong and Taiwan, a lot of them seemed worried by the sort of red baiting that kind of has broadly happened in the Republican Party with narratives that President-elect Joe Biden is a radical socialist and that he will implement kind of very radical socialist policies. And so that was kind of a talking point that has been amplified. And concerningly, in the aftermath of the election, there's also been a lot of discussions about whether um, the voting machines were to be trusted if there was election interference, for example. And so that is all issues trying to um, catch and disprove before kind of the myth gets even larger. Mm-hmm. And of course, misinformation is a problem for all groups. And now that the presidential election is over, um, you know, some of these stories continue. Some of the misinformation continues. Um, Why should it still matter that we're looking at this and and that we bring attention to it? I think a lot of this boils down to the fact that Asian-American voters have historically not received as much outreach as other groups, particularly outreach in their own native language. And Some of this confusion or susceptibility to misinformation is a result of kind of the lack of um, civic knowledge or confusion with the political process. And so I think it's crucial that both political parties recognize that and invest resources in directly talking to these voters so that they can understand what their platform points are, that they know which news sources to trust, rather than just reading something online and interpreting it in a certain way. Speaking of Gen Z, um, we think of them as digitally savvy, tuned in, as digital natives. Are Gen Zers any more or less susceptible to fake news than, say, a boomer or Gen Xer or someone like me? I guess I'm an older millennial. I definitely think that it boils down to how much they understand news literacy. And so a lot of uh, Gen Z, um, regardless of what ethnic group or background they're from, if they kind of understand kind of what news sources are reputable, they might be less swayed by misinformation. But of course, um, there's kind of a growing level of anecdotes that I've noticed that they're also susceptible to conspiratorial thinking and conspiracy theories. And so I wouldn't say that misinformation is a problem for older people who might not be as literate online, but it's also just kind of a general issue of trust 
between um, the American public and institutions like news and the government. Mm -hmm. Well, many people are battling misinformation with their family members or friends, you know, telling them they're consuming material from fringe sources or that a video or article is full of misinformation doesn't seem to work. Uh, In some cases, it almost seems the person just kind of clings tighter to the false content. Is there anything that seems to have worked to combat misinformation? Yeah. Um, what I've noticed um, speaking to the organizers is that they're really trying to meet the community where they're at, whether that be at a language level or at a comprehension level. I guess I can only speak really to the Asian American community when kind of debunking these claims. But often it's presenting them information that they might not be aware of or trying to present it in a very neutral, fact-based light. Um, the organizers I spoke to, while they identify as progressives or liberals, say that in their work, they're trying to adopt a neutral tone as possible. They're not even advocating for liberal values in kind of the news articles or translations that they're doing. They're just trying to get the community to receive unbiased or factual information. Mm-hmm. How can we ourselves stop the spread of misinformation? How can we be more aware of it? I think a lot of people are just trying to flag certain videos or certain content they see on social media platforms. But it's a really tricky because it is both kind of relies on third-party fact-checkers and the algorithm to kind of do the diligence um, so that this is not amplified. But I do think that a lot of misinformation can be dispelled if Folks are just constantly in communication with their family members and loved ones and checking in as to whether the sources that they're reading or hearing from is reputable. It's really about having a dialogue. And as for me, a reporter, I constantly think about that in my own home life and seeing whether um, I can clarify any information that um, my parents um, or my friends have seen or read online. Mm -hmm. That's Terry Nguyen. You can check out her reporting at Vox.com. Terry, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And that's today's Reset. You know you love conversations like the ones we had today, so take 30 seconds and give us a rating and review. It really helps other people find us. New host Sasha Ann Simons starts next Monday, but in the meantime, I'm Susie On. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you back here tomorrow. If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerd App Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerd App wherever you get your podcasts.